Awesome. Hey, how many people have ever taken a personality test? Raise your hand. Personality tests? Okay. <clears throat> awesome. Uh, a few months ago, we took a personality test as a staff at our church, okay? And, and I, this has something to do with the message, I promise. Um, but uh, we, we took a personality test, and this one is the color test. How many people have ever taken the color test? Anybody? Okay, the color test? Okay. Well, I'm going to read you guys the four personality colors, all right? And what I want you to do is I want you to think in your brain, what color am I, okay? This is going to have a lot to do with what we're talking about tonight. And so uh, what color are you? I'm going to start with red, okay? This, this describes reds. Reds tend to be more concerned about what's happening right now than in the future. Adventurous hobbies, impulsive behavior, if it isn't fun, forget it. Easy to ignore clutter, generous, sharing, and helpful. Waiting is unacceptable. They're often easily bored and restless. All right, you guys already, you're like, that's me. I don't even need the other colors. Okay, hold on. This is green, okay? Green. I don't know how many greens are going to be in the room because I haven't met a lot of green teenagers. Uh, Greens want to know all there is to know about everything. They like to analyze, study, invent, investigate, and explore. Spreadsheets are their friends. Non-conforming and independent, they tend to appear calm, cool, and collected most of the time. The worst situation for a green would be to appear stupid. If there's, if there's time to read, mysteries or science fiction will be the logical choice. Right? They love abstractions and solvable puzzles. Okay? Is that some of you guys maybe? Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, you know what? Actually, Patrick, I, I love you. I think you're a green for sure. You're even wearing a greenish sweatshirt today. All right, blue. Here's blues. I, I, we're almost done here. Blues see the possibilities in others. And in themselves, they are highly creative and constantly growing. Uniqueness is important, yes, they can sh- yet they can shift identities to fit the situation. Life, life is for a search for meaning. They like to hug people. Warmth and compassion flow easily with sincerity. Devoted friends, they love to talk, share, and help, okay? Hold on, there's one more, and these are the yellows, okay? Here's what yellows are. Yellows, yellows are loyal, dependable, punctual, trustworthy, and they know that everyone else should be, too. Structure and order are very important. They establish and maintain institutions, very reliable, the backbone of a stable social system. Very organized, yellows are. So here's my question. Who's a blue in the room? You like to hug people? You like to, you want to share your feelings, help? Jeff Belknap is a blue. That's why you give me hugs all the time. Emily, Emily's like, no way. Who else is a blue? Okay, all right, blues. How about reds? How many people are reds? All of the guy teenagers like want to be reds, Okay. How many, hey, how many greens, greens, you guys love spreadsheets? Hey, there's no shame here. Patrick, you put it up, man. Put it up. Yeah. Greens. Will, you a green? Yes. All right. And how many yellows? Yellows? Okay. Let me give you some context, okay? I want to give you, I want to give you some context. What do you guys think Ben Lunn, you got to guys know Ben Lunn, what do you guys think he is? Ben is a blue, 100%. Yes, blue. Micah Ogle, what do you guys think he is? If you said anything but red, you have not hung out with Micah a lot. Micah's like, dude, let's go climb a mountain. Like, dude, we're like, we don't have anything. So what, dude? We have, like, love and stuff. Let's do it. 
But we need reds in the world, man. Micah is in the other room. He's not even here to defend himself, and Micah knows I love him. But uh, what do you guys think I am? Does anyone know what I am? If you don't, here's the deal. You, I am like 1,000% a yellow, okay? I'm a yellow, okay? I'll tell you who else is a yellow on our staff. Uh, you guys know Hannah. She's a yellow. Uh, Travis Ogle, you guys know Pastor Travis, he's a yellow. He's like the, as yellow as they come, okay. I'm like, I'm maybe a little more on the yellow. Travis is like yellow, yellow. Uh, Vance, Pastor Vance is like a blue-yellow mix, right. He's like a blue-yellow mix. Anyways, here's why I tell you all that, okay. We're in, a, we're in a series right now called Alive. We've been there for the last three weeks. And, and, and even if you're a red tonight, Here's kind of where we've been tracking, and, and you've heard this before if you've been in the last three weeks, or maybe just last week, or maybe two weeks ago. I don't know how long you've been going uh, during this series, but even if you're not a yellow tonight, here's what I believe in one area, we compartmentalize things, okay? We could, even if you're not a yellow, like I'm a yellow, and so like my wife knows, I'm very yellow-ish. Except here's the deal with yellows, is every yellow, even though they're yellow, has a junk drawer. Does anyone have a junk drawer, anybody? Junk drawer? Like you might have a very clean house, and your mom like opens that one drawer, and like what on earth is that? And you're like, that's my junk drawer. Like we all need one of those. We have a junk drawer in the Worthington house. I have a junk drawer in my office. It's just kind of the other category, okay? But even if... Listen, if you're a red tonight or if you're a blue or if you're a green, listen up, listen up. I hear some talking. Listen up. Hone in, hone in. Somebody's talking next to you. Tell them to shut up. Nah. Students just love being able to tell people to shut up. It's really weird. Even if you're not a yellow tonight, here's one area where I believe, as I've hung out with a lot of teenagers and I've studied people all over the country and we, we study the culture of faith in teenagers, is you guys compartmentalize and I sometimes compartmentalize when it comes to religion, or to faith. And so right before we jump into the Alive talk tonight, and, and we're going to kind of be tracking on what we've been on the last few weeks. And I believe if we're honest, there's a few categories that tonight you guys would put people in as far as faith, okay? And I've got some boxes up here to represent those. The first, if you can't see it over there, there it is. If you can't see it over there, there it is. The first is, we would say there are some people who are radical Christians. I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying this is what we think. And, and, and even in our greenness, we have a yellow part that says, I want to compartmentalize Jesus or faith. And so some of you would say, there are Christians that I know that are like the radical ones. And then there's other Christians, and this is something, I don't know if anyone else says this, but you know, like when you say, meh, does that make sense? Is that how you spell that? That's how I spell it. Meh. These are like, you're like, meh, yeah, whatever. These are the meh Christians, okay? Some people would say, there's, there's stuff that goes in here, there's stuff that goes in here, and here's another one, good people. Maybe they're not a Christian, man, they're a good person. They're, they're good people. And then just like my junk drawer, here's this one, and it's the other, okay? It's the junk drawer. That's just where everything else goes. And maybe you think this is goofy, and maybe you're like, I don't really do that, but let me try to give you some context because I think if we're honest, we all do this. And sorry if you can't see these, okay? This is radical Christian. This is meh. And this is good person, and this is other. This is just where the others go, okay? Here's what I think we do if we're honest tonight. Is we look at people, whether we look at ourselves, our parents, our church people, people in this room, and we say, man, some people are radical Christians. Like, those are the people that, like, read the Bible, like, every day. Like, man, those people are radical. Or those are the people that give their money to church. Like, money that they got on a paycheck, they give their money to church. Man, that's radical. That's like a whole other level of Christian. 
These people right here are the people that get on planes, give up like 10 days of their lives, and go on a mission trip and eat weird food in a weird country all for Jesus. Man, that's like a radical Christian. And maybe you've never thought that. I think that at some point you've thought those things. I thought those things at one point is, man, maybe you're going to church for a while. You would say you're a Jesus follower. But there's like another level that maybe you haven't reached yet. And we would put that in the category of radical Christian. There's another one, good people, or uh, meh, meh. These are people, this is the family I grew up in, okay? And maybe your family's like this too. I mean, they would definitely tell you that they are Christians. These are the people that are Christians, And we're going to even pray before, like, the big meals. You guys do that? Like, not like every meal, but just, like, the big ones because God cares way more about Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas. You know what I mean? And I'm not bagging. This is the same family I came from. Like, that's the meal we pray for because God wants to bless this turkey and not the KFC I ate yesterday. That's, that's, meh, Christians. These are people that they go to church, but they're not really involved, you know, like, we, we, we want to go and just kind of be on the boundaries and just kind of check it out. And there's people that raise their hands. By the way, ra- hand raisers are definitely radical Christians. Th- these are like, you know, folded arm Christians. These are the people that do this. And then there's the next level. Again, maybe you've never, you've never, well, you never say it like this, but these are the things that we think. And that's why I did this because I thought these things. I thought if I did, so did they probably. We think good people. These are the people that, man, they're, they're going to help somebody homeless on the side of the road. I mean, they're not like... They're not like rude, mean people, but they're going to help people on the side of the road. They may show up on an Easter and Christmas service because they heard that the pastor is going to be preaching a great sermon, or they feel like they got to be at church because it's that time. These are people that are saying, man, you're a good person. And then there's the other category. You fill that in with whatever you want to fill that in with. Maybe you know some others, okay? But if if we're honest tonight as we jump into another Alive talk, and and we're going to talk about where that comes from in a minute if you're new but that is what I believe a lot of teenagers think, and honestly, a lot of Christians in the world, is there's these levels of Christianity, and then there's kind of a break where you would say, yeah, they're not Christians, but they are good people, and then there's the other category. And here's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, and I hope, I hope you're not getting sick of hearing it, but hopefully you're getting to the point where you're understanding it, is the Bible has nothing to do with what we just talked about. There's nothing in the Bible about levels of Christianity where the radical Christians do one thing and then you can just kind of be a sideline Christian to another and then there's a level of good person. The, ra- the, the Bible gives two categories. People that are alive and people that are dead. Not like physically. We all know you're alive physically in the room tonight. We mean alive spiritually. We do not see anything in the Bible that says there's levels of Christianity. You either are alive in Christ or you are dead in your trespasses and sins. I I have no idea where that lands on you tonight. We've been hitting that hard because here's what we believe. Just when we're getting sick of saying it, you're just starting to understand it. And what we believe is when we teach teenagers, no, if you are alive in Christ, start acting like it. Start acting like God has given you, raised you from the dead, and given you a new heart, a new life. And start walking in that freedom that is as a Jesus follower. And if you're dead tonight, if you haven't ever given your heart and life to Jesus, and there hasn't ever been a time where you were spiritually woken up to the gospel, what is true, what the Bible says is the story of Jesus, then we would say you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That makes sense. Give me a thumbs up. Thumbs up. So I wanted to do that because I, I still think even after a few weeks, we still like do this in our brain. But the Bible knows nothing of a steps of Christianity. You are either alive in Christ 
or you are dead in your sins. And that includes everybody in this room, everyone who's going to sit over there tonight in a service. Everyone on planet earth is either alive in Christ or they're dead in their sins. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at, um, at, at a few things that alive things do. Alive things grow. That was what we talked about the first week. Like I got kids and they're growing up. I got weeds in my backyard and those things are alive and they are constantly growing. As Christians, if we are alive in Christ, there should be growth in our lives. We should look back a year ago and not be the same Christian as we were. That, that's what we find in the Bible is that alive things grow. Ben Lund talked about alive things aren't alone. Like there's a thing that we have to be a part of in, as Christians called community. Like if you just put a seed on this table right now, nothing is going to happen to the seed unless it adds water and soil and there's other things that make it grow. Alive things aren't alone. And then last week, Pastor Tom, alive things move. Last week marked a year of our vision night where we were here writing prayers all over the ground. We were freezing. We had candles all over the place, lights in here. It wasn't even done. And we said, God, would you use this place to make disciples of all nations? That got out of here, students would be launched into schools and launched into cities where they would be carrying this good news that made them alive and that, God, you would use them to change cities. That's kind of what we've been talking about. And so this week, I kind of want to give us one last challenge. I want to give us one last challenge because here's what I believe. And you guys don't have notes or anything, but if you want to write this down, this is something that I struggle with and maybe you struggle with too. Is I believe as Christians, a lot of times we want the perks of Jesus without the commands of a disciple. Here's what I mean by that. We love the fact that we're going to heaven when we die. <laughs> heaven, man. Somebody asked me where I'm going, man. I, I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I know the worship songs. And I would say I'm a Christian. I get heaven when I die. We're all good with the perks of being a Christian. But what we fail to sometimes look at in the Bible as we read it is the, the commands of what it means to be a disciple. Because here's the thing that we've kind of lost in church, and especially with teenagers, is we, we don't really read the Bible a lot, if we're honest. And so we don't really see a lot of the things that Jesus talks about. We like hear about the Jesus in the newspapers and we hear about the Jesus at church. But when we start reading the Bible, we see Jesus says some crazy stuff. Like read the Bible, commit to reading the Bible all week. Just start anywhere that's red. If you have one of those red, like red letter Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just start reading it. And you're going to see Jesus says some crazy stuff. And he's really kind of open about what it means to be in a relationship with him. Like, he kind of lays all his cards out. We're, gonna, we're starting a dating series uh, in two weeks, by the way, and, and we're going to talk about dating. But when you enter a relationship with Jesus, he kind of puts all his cards out there. It'd be like if I, you know, if you're, you're about to date some guy, okay, girls, you're about to date some guy. And the guy, if he was like Jesus and he was going to lay all his cards out, instead of trying to front for like nine months and then finally tell you, he'd be like, hey, just so you know, before we start this relationship, like, I never take a shower, ever. Ever. I don't believe in showers. You would say, okay, I'm not going to enter that relationship. I don't want to be with that guy. Guys, if you're about to date a girl and they were going to lay all their cards out on the table and they said, hey, uh, before we enter this relationship, before we get engaged and then like we get married and then you move in with me, you have to know that like I am a cat hoarder. Like all I, like I collect cats. You would say, I don't want to enter that relationship. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus lays all his cards out in the beginning of the relationship. He says, here's who I am. Here's what following me 
looks like. How the Bible says it is, here's what a disciple looks like. Meaning, somebody who's being taught by Jesus. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are a disciple. That's the Bible term for it. You are a, te- you are a student of Jesus. He is your teacher. Here's what he says. It's going to be on the screen. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Here's, here's, here's what Jesus says as a disciple. And he said to them, to, to, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, meaning if anyone would start following me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever, will, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's what the Bible says. That you and I are to take up our cross daily as people who are alive and follow Jesus. You say, what does that mean? We're going to talk about one of the things that means tonight. What what is one of those commands? Because it's not just this relationship where you can kind of chill in the meh category for a while. Jesus says, no, no, no. Every Christian is a radical Christian, if you want to call it that. Because every Christian has been made alive in me. I put my spirit in them, and I want to shoot them out into their communities, into their schools, into their families, and all around the world because I am alive inside of them. And I want them to live like that. Maybe you've never thought of it that way, but I believe if you think about it, we want the perks of Jesus without the commands of a disciple. We read things in the Bible and we go, oh, Maybe one day I'll get to that point where I give or I fast or I carry my cross daily or I surrender the sin in my life. Maybe one day I'll get to that point. Jesus says, if you've been made alive in Christ, that's your command. Take up your cross. So tonight what I want to do is I want to work through one passage. It's going to be kind of a shorter night. I want to work through one passage of Scripture that is a command of Jesus. Because maybe you're like, okay, I'm on board with that. What is the command of Jesus? There's a lot in the Bible. Like I said, this week, I encourage you, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just every night before you go to bed, just flip through some of those passages. And you're going to start to see, man, God says a lot of crazy stuff. Jesus said, if you have questions, call your small group leader. Facebook me. Text the Refuge Text Service. If you've got a question about the Bible, we want to answer those questions or try to. But first, you've got to open them and see what Jesus says. What's a command of, of, of Scripture? Why, why did Jesus call us to do certain things as disciples? So before we, if you have a Bible, by the way, if you have an app or whatever you have to, to read the Bible, go to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, I want to start in verse 6, but before that, I want to set up the story real quick. <clears throat> Here's what happened. Jesus Christ comes down to earth. He's, he's God, you know, he's God become a man. He lives a life, like people say, about 33 years. And for the last three years of his life, he's just doing ministry all over the place. He's saying the crazy things I want you to read about loving your neighbor, even though they might steal from you. He's saying things like forgive other people. He's saying things like pray and fast and all this stuff that I want you to read about this week. And people are starting to get real mad. And the reason he came is because you and I are sinners and we, need, we needed a Savior. And so Jesus comes and he dies on a cross in our place for our sins. And he, and he gets thrown in a tomb and he's a dead guy. Three days he's in this tomb. But the, the cool part of the story is he, he comes back to life. Jesus comes back to life and for about 40 days he hangs out with his disciples as like a risen person. How weird is that? Talk about being alive. This guy was in a tomb for three days. A lot of them saw him die on a cross, and now he's like hanging out with them, scars and all. And he's like, hey, I'm Jesus. And that's what we pick up in Acts chapter 1. That's kind of the story, really short version. And in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus goes to heaven, 
like he ascends, like just imagine you're sitting here and Jesus is right here in front of you and all of a sudden he starts floating up to heaven. That's what the Bible says. How weird is that? You're like, dude, this is like super trippy science fiction stuff. Right before he does that, he does that in verse 9, but we're going to start in verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Basically, they want to know, okay, what's going to happen now? Like, we, we're, like, everything's, like, up in the air right now. You just died. You came back to life. Now what are you going to do? Like, you're going to come and just, like, destroy the kingdom. What are you going to do, God? They say, are you going to come restore the kingdom? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Basically, he's saying, hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I want you to focus on this, verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my disciples, my witnesses, I'm sorry. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So right before, I mean, this is literally the last words he says to people that are following him for like the last three years. He says, Here, don't worry about all those big, you know, God questions that you have. Here's what I want you to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world. And then right there he just starts floating. Okay, can we all agree that's just crazy weird? It's like weird Jesus stuff. We don't read that. We think the Bible's boring. Okay, if the Bible's boring to you, you haven't read it because it's crazy. There's crazy things in there. So what I want to do is I want to look at two, these, the, the, verse 8. One verse of tonight, I want to kind of work through it, and then we're going we're gonna to be done for the year. We're going to worship a little bit more. We're going to work backwards, starting in verse 8 at the bottom of verse 8, where it says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It didn't say you might be. It didn't say if you're a radical Christian, you should be. It didn't say, I hope you are. You will, Christian, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and, and the ends of the earth. Say, okay, that's cool. If I'm supposed to be a witness, what is a witness? Okay, that's not like a huge, crazy Bible word, okay? Let me help, help me out. What is a witness? Somebody know? Like if, I, if I committed a crime and somebody saw me, what is that person? It's a witness, okay? A person's a witness. So that's like super easy. Like somebody saw something, and then out of that experience, they testify, right? So here's what a witness is. When it says, you will be my witnesses, here's what that means. Out of your experience, you speak. You experience something, and you're going to talk about it. I saw that person do the crime, and I'm going to testify against them. I'm going to say, I saw them do a crime. So here's the question I want to ask tonight. How's your witness? Because it didn't say you might be, you should be. If you feel like it, you could be my witness. It said you will be my witness. So here's what that means. If you're a Christian tonight, you are witnessing to the people around you. And I am witnessing to the people around me. That means my family, even when my little brother or sister drives me absolutely insane. That means my teacher, even though I can't stand them and they give me a lot of homework. That means my best friend who knows I'm a Christian, but like I don't really act that way around them. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are speaking to people what you think about me. Even if you don't want to, even if you're not trying to have the God conversation, you are a witness as a believer in Jesus to the people around you. So the logical question for you and for me tonight is, how's our witness? 
And that's kind of a hard thing to think about, but think about your life. Are you witness? Are you a witness to the fact that Jesus is all-powerful? He saved you. He's the best thing that ever happened to your life, and you can't wait to worship him every moment of every day and read his word and blah, 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 and all the things you would say the radical Christian does? Or is the witness you give off to your friends, and I give off to my friends because I'm just as guilty as you sometimes, that my Jesus really isn't that cool because he brought me back from death to life, and I don't really care about it. You will be my witnesses. So if we are, what is, what's our witness? I want you to think about that. What, what is your witness? How are you witnessing? What, what are you telling, out of your experience of Jesus, what are you telling the world? What are you telling your family? What are you telling your friends? Then he goes on to say, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Basically, those are regions around right where they were. Like Jerusalem was the city that they were in. Judea, Samaria were the cities that they were surrounding. You would say, what, what? What does that mean for me? Here's what I think that means for us. Because he was talking to people who lived in that context. So I want to give us our context for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Here's what I believe. If you've ever wondered why we do missions, here's why. Jesus said, go. Not just stay in your city, even though I want you to to minister in your city, in Jerusalem. I also want you to go to Judea and Samaria. And I also want you to go to the ends of the earth. Which, by the way, they had no idea what he was talking about. You don't hop on a Delta flight and fly across the world when Jesus said this to them. Like, it is huge, like a big deal. Like, wait, you want us to, like, leave a place, like, the ends of the earth? They didn't, I'm curious to even know, did they even know what the earth was at that point? Like, they, this is before Columbus. This is, I mean, this is crazy that Jesus would say, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Here's what I believe Jerusalem means for you and I. The things that are closest to us. Like Judea or like uh, Jerusalem was closest to them. For us, that means Las Vegas. For us, that means your family, my family, your school. The people you surround yourself with that you are in, in community with. Like they were in community with the people in Jerusalem. Are you a witness to them? He says, I want you to be a witness to them in Jerusalem. He wants, says, I want you to be a witness to them in Judea and Samaria. What's that mean? There's a 15 students that just went and were a witness in Salt Lake City. I think that's kind of a Judea-Samaria moment where that's kind of, that's a traveling distance. They had to travel to Judea and Samaria. That wasn't something they just walked to. This is something they traveled to. It was like a big deal. They got all the horse and buggy, and they said, let's go. I guess camel and buggy back then. But they went and said, we're going to go to Judea and Samaria. Maybe that's Hawaii, Right? Pastor Zeke, by the way, is planting a church in Hawaii. How cool is that, okay? If you ever want to go on a mission trip, go to Hawaii with Zeke, and he'll put you to work in Judea and Samaria, and then you get to go to the beach, okay? We're going to start having those trips here real soon. Don't worry. We'll tell you when. That'll definitely be a student trip, okay? But seriously, this isn't, again, this isn't you should. You might. If you feel like it, you could. This is, hey, Christians, hey, people that have been brought back from dead, you are alive in Christ, You will be my witnesses in your schools, in your families, in Salt Lake City, in Las Vegas, in Hawaii, in California, wherever you might have connections where you can go and be a witness for Jesus. God says, I want you to do that for me. That's the last thing I'm going to tell you as I go up to heaven. And then, of course, the ends of the earth. We know what that means. That means all over the planet. Eric mentioned it earlier, but we're at work as a church on four different continents. I mean, we're at work literally all over the world. We say that. That's kind of like a big thing to say, but, like, it's true. 
Like we took a team to Thailand and some other people went to South Africa and other people went to Egypt and other people are, are, are going to go to, to the Arabian Peninsula, which we have a, a people we're calling the Wadi people, which is a totally unreached people group on a totally different place on the map. Why? Because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. See, if we're honest, we want the perks of being a Christian, but we don't really like to think about the commands of being a disciple. Because that's, if you would say you're a Christian, that's where we should be on mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But we think, well, maybe one day when I get to the cool level of Christian, I'll go to Thailand, or I'll go to South Africa, or I'll go I'll go try to bring the gospel to the Wadi people. Maybe one day I'll get there. Jesus says, if you've been made alive in Christ, you're there. Last but not least, he says in the very beginning of verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that word power, okay, we're not big Greek people here. I know you don't hear a lot of that from us, but here's the deal. That word power is really cool in the Greek, okay. The Greek is a language that the, this was written in. Here's what that word power, the, 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 the word power is actually in Greek. It's dynamo, okay, or dunamo, okay. What word do you think we get from that? Anybody know? Dynamite, okay. So here's what Jesus just said. I mean, this is, this is why the Bible's cool, and maybe you don't think it is. You will receive dynamite force when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Like, you will receive an explosion of awesome Jesus when I bring you back to life from death, as the Bible says. Here's what most of us do, and I was going to bring it in here, but I didn't want to set out the fire alarms. Most of us treat our relationship with Jesus like a sparkler. You guys know those, like, super lame, like, they're cool, but they go out in, like, two seconds. You know what I mean? Like, we light it, and we're like, woo, and it's out already. Seriously, if we think about it, most of us treat our relationship with Jesus like a sparkler. Man, when camp comes, I can't wait to light like a thousand sparklers. But guess what? In like August, the flame's out. I don't, I don't care about what happened at camp. Or some of you guys went to Salt Lake and I challenged you in the hotel room. Hey, when we met as a group and we sang together and we prayed together, I said, hey, this isn't like a cool mission trip moment. Don't let this just burn out like some lame candle or sparkler. Because here's what the Bible says. God has put dynamite inside of you that you would explode out into this world as a light shining for the gospel. And it wouldn't be something that burns out. We sing songs like Let Love Explode, right? That song, Like a Lion. Ben's going to sing it here in a little bit if you're going to the main service. Let Love Explode. What's that saying? That's saying we have a God inside of us that has dynamite power. We walk around acting like our Jesus is a little sparkler, and it's going to burn out. We're going to try to light it again on our own, our own doing. We're going to try to read the Bible enough or come to church enough trying to light our sparklers. And Jesus said, no, there's dynamite power already in you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Here's what that means. As Christians, and we like to talk about this all the time, it's kind of a big doctrinal thing. But here's what we're saying. As Christians... The Bible says God, the Holy Spirit, actually comes to dwell inside believers in power, in dynamite power. Here's why that's good. It's because we're about to sing a song that we love here in a minute that says, I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. My flesh may fail, but you never will because you're that dynamite power and you're living inside of me right now as a believer in Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, 
you will be my witnesses. You will, out of your experience, speak to the people in your school, to the people in your family, to your teachers. You will speak to the people in Salt Lake. You will carry my message to the people in, in Hawaii or, or Vancouver or wherever you might go that Hope's working with. You will be my disciples and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not something for radical Christians. I want us to get that. You are either dead in, Christ, dead in your sins or you are alive in Christ. Every person in this room. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come up. And as they do, I want to challenge you with something. We just walk through a, a passage of scripture, and here's the only response we should have. What on earth does it mean for my life? If you're here tonight and you don't really care what it means to your life, that's fine. But I'd ask that you just keep quiet to yourself right now. Don't be distracting other people around you that might really want God to speak to them and might really want to try to process this in a minute. The first question I want to ask you tonight is this. Are you in Christ? Have you been made alive in Christ? The Bible is very clear. We've saw that. We've seen that in, 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 the, in the passage of Scripture tonight and over the last few weeks. You were either dead in your sins or you have been made alive in Christ. There is no middle. There is no levels. You were either dead or you're alive. So the question tonight as we end this series, as we take a break here for a couple weeks before our new series starts, I want to ask you and I want to challenge you. Are you alive or are you dead? Say, Scott, I, I'm dead. I mean, if that's what the Bible says, that you have to have a relationship with Jesus and, and, and there has to be a life change thing that happens where I, where I accept Jesus and I, I want to start following him and become a disciple of him, here's the, here's the challenge for you tonight. He's knocking. All you have to do is open and answer. You don't have to work anything up to get saved. You don't have to work anything or, or try to be a certain way or say a certain prayer to say, God, just say, God, I need you and I want you right now. That's all. We didn't, you know, Christians didn't do some like hocus pocus to become a Christian. We just accept a free gift that Jesus gave us. Maybe that's you tonight. I'm not going to ask for hands or anything tonight, but I believe there's people in this room that right now, maybe for the last three weeks, you've been hearing about dead and alive, and you would say, dude, I'm dead. I'm dead in my sins. I'm not been brought to life. Stop living like a dead person because Jesus says, I want to bring you to life. I want to put Holy Spirit dynamite power inside of you so you don't have to carry all the junk you're trying to carry in your life right now. Are you, are you alive in Christ? If you would say yes, the answer is yes. My question for you tonight is, what is your witness? We all have one. It says, you will be my witnesses. If you are alive in Christ, how's your witness? Are you allowing this explosive, awesome Holy Spirit of God inside of you to overflow out into your life, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth? Are you allowing that to happen? Or do you look back months and months and years into your life and you think, man, nothing's really, I don't always seem like God moved very much. Maybe because that's, we're looking at God like a little sparkler. We light every once in a while when we feel like it. We don't see lasting change.